Who will join me in this great adventure? None. Not one of you. Then I spit on you all as cowards. You can bend the knee to your masters, but I will not. Farewell, fools. He stormed from the room and from Changsha. It was not long before he had joined a band of rebel forces in the hills. Having gained the necessary experience of guerrilla warfare, Mao took up his studies again. He hoped to take up teaching, but that was not to be. Eventually, he got a job as an assistant in the Peking National Library. Here, he found not only a treasure trove of further knowledge, but the two men who were to influence his future thought. They were Li Teichao and Professor Chen Tuxiu. They were destined to be the founders of the Chinese Communist Party. I have studied with you now for five years, Professor. But I am sure that you must appreciate the difficulties under which I study. Here it is, early 1919, and yet we have so little literature in our own tongue from which I may learn and pass on that knowledge to others. Even Lenin is known to us only through quotes from articles. Patience, Mao, patience. Next year, early next year, we'll see a great change. Two agents of the Communist International are coming to contact us. We will learn their names later. As Professor Chen Tu Xiu had promised, 1920 saw the arrival of two important agents. They were Grigory Wojtynski and Yang Mingtai. At the first meeting between them and Li Chao and Professor Chen, Wojtynski asked, Li, you have listened most patiently to our Bolshevik experiences and to my explanation of our methods of party organization. I've tried my best to show how a small group of doggedly dedicated men can seize power and keep it. What are your feelings? Uh, Comrade Votinsky, I find your views acceptable. The conspirators that form the Central Party Group are akin to the leadership of the Tong. It will be good if you will join Chen and I and others in our small Shanghai group. We can meet in the international settlements without much worry of being betrayed to the police. And so, under the tuition of the two Russians, Li and Chen, and through them, Mao and others, learned all the dark arts of underground political war. They quickly grasped the fact that they would remain in power with the party machine behind them after a successful revolution. Dr. Sun Yat-sen, I and many of my other fellow members of the Kuomintang wish to ask one simple question. Why do we have this swing in our policies? As the leader of this party that embraces so many facets of political ideology, why is it that we follow the communist line? We, in this Shangsha New People's Study Society, you who have listened to the message I have brought from Li and Chan, now know that we must form action groups of propagandists, of fighters, to make the young believe that revolutionary overturn is the only path to follow. By May 1921, Mao was already running a group of trade unions, had converted the majority of his study group, and was one of 12 delegates in Shanghai who founded the Chinese Communist Party. Its main objective was simple enough, 
It was seizure of political power by proletarian organizations under party leadership. By now, Mao Zedong was 28 years old and already one of the leading figures of a movement gathering the momentum of power. He had married, and his wife, Chang Jin, was busily organizing the students, and women as well. By October 1921, the first provincial branch of the party was established in Hunan, and by May 1922, Mao had organized 22 trade unions ranging from miners to municipal employees. He and his fellows lived with death and danger. The Hunan warlord government executed two of his men in an effort to stamp out revolutionary movements. But, as the party grew, Mao began to diminish in stature. Soon he was drifting down amongst the top 200 and was hard-pressed to conceal his hatred of the intellectuals who spoke and read and expressed their views in foreign languages. You know how I feel respected, Chuen Lai. You founded the party in Paris, and you too, Chute, its equivalent in Germany. All my instincts tell me we are bound for greatness, to join the immortals of our country. I can see us overthrowing the pseudos and the quacks of communism. They are soft. We are tigers. Yet his vehemence for such established leaders met with little response. Usually only non-committal murmurs were the result of his wildest pleadings for increased action, for increased violence. Curiously, support for his own ideas was coming from no less a person than Lenin himself. Writing to Voitinsky and Yang from Moscow, he said, I order you to approach Sonyatsen. Feed him the line that the Soviet communist system is not suitable for Chinese conditions. What is needed is freedom and independence from the warlords. Convince him that he will be able to control the communist elements within the Kuomintang. Assure him that his popularity among the masses will bring him a big following as it is concerned with smashing the thirty-odd groups of warlords. Stupid Westerners see him as a crank or a ratbag. But he is the man who can inspire China, although his beliefs are the opposite to ours. Encourage him to believe we back his beliefs on a strong China, a nationalist China. Proceed. Sen was not difficult to persuade. Very shortly, he was issuing orders to one of his men, Captain Chiang Kai-shek. Captain, you will proceed to Moscow as head of the military mission we have already discussed, to study the Red Army. I have already sought political and military advice. Meanwhile, Mao was a member of the leading communist group, small though it was, intermingled with the Kuomintang and he was hard-pressed to profess loyalty to a man he really despised. 
Nevertheless, he managed to maintain a bland front as he was convinced that this odd alliance was the key to the destruction of the warlords. So he welcomed the return of the now General Chiang Kai-shek, who was bent on a series of campaigns that would wipe out the menace of the warlords. Chiang Kai-shek's expedient alliance with the communists ended suddenly, and the action he took earned him the lifelong contempt and hatred of Mao. With more than a year of war behind us, it is time to consolidate here in Shanghai. We will start by wiping out the communists and all the communist-led unions. Give summary justice to any who resist our measures. Carry out these operations in Nanking and Canton as well. Tear them out of their rat holes. Let none survive. Sun Yat-sen, gravely disturbed at what was going on, sent for Mao. Comrade Mao, get to Hun as quickly as possible. As chief of the peasants' department, I want you to analyze what is going on there. Reports suggest things are getting out of hand. We can't have that. Mao was soon reporting to Sun Yat-sen. The peasants have done what you have tried to do and so far failed to do. They have created a storm. Mao had realized that the power of the peasants, if mobilized, would prove irresistible. At that moment in time, it seemed as if Chiang Kai-shek, with his well-trained army, would soon be able to beat the peasants into submission, despite their spasmodic outbursts of resistance. Yet the peasants taught Mao a great deal, revealing the secret he was seeking. He decided that...